Welcome to the Financial Purpose Podcast. All opinions expressed by me or guests of the podcast are solely our own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Life Moves Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any financial or investment decisions. Clients of Life Moves Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. All right, well, welcome back to the Financial Purpose Podcast. This is episode 15. Today, I want to talk about something that has come up several times for me over the past couple of weeks, which is basically the understanding of what it means to be a fiduciary advisor. Um, This comes up because, you know, typically I talk to a lot of other financial advisors and I'm going to air quote financial advisors here because sometimes these people, uh, to call them financial advisors is being very, very generous. Uh, A lot of times they are financial products salespeople. And, uh, and, and that is a, a massive difference. So I want to talk about this and uh, I want to, to try to help you understand whether or not if you're talking to a financial advisor, are they a fiduciary or are they something else? And are they acting under the fiduciary standard or are they acting under some other standard? And there's two. We're going to talk about that today in this episode. Um, so let me first start by defining what is a fiduciary. Uh, so I looked this up. I googled fiduciary definition. You can do the same thing. And I pulled several different examples. So from first Investopedia, which by the way is one of my favorite resources if I want to know something about the investment landscape or how something's defined or how something works. Investopedia is a great resource for that. Um, anyway, Investopedia, a fiduciary in any context 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 is the word a fiduciary in any context is a person who is ethically or legally obliged to act in the best interest of another party the department of labor because they deal with in retirement accounts they have a definition of a fiduciary as well their definition is the primary responsibility of fiduciaries is to run the plan which is the retirement plan solely in the interest of the participants which would be the employees and the beneficiaries for the exclusive purpose of providing benefits and paying plan expenses. Fiduciaries must act prudently and must diversify the plan's investments in order to minimize the risk of large losses. Wikipedia, their definition. A fiduciary is a person who holds a legal or ethical relationship of trust with one or more other parties, persons, or groups of persons. Nerd Wallet, also another great resource uh, for understanding how different things in the financial sector works. Uh, Nerd Wallet says a fiduciary is an individual or organization who has a legal duty to act in the best interest of someone else. Fiduciaries have a bond of trust with clients and must avoid conflicts of interest. In finance, Fiduciary financial advisors must only recommend investments in other financial planning products that are the best fit for their clients. Merriam-Webster Dictionary. Fiduciary relationships are often of the financial variety, but the word fiduciary does not in and of itself suggest pecuniary or money-related. So pecuniary is the word. Uh, it does not necessarily directly suggest pecuniary matters. 
Rather, a fiduciary applies to any situation in which one person justifiably places confidence and trust in someone else and seeks that person's help or advice in some matter. Now, I'm a CFP, Certified Financial Planner. The CFP board has a very strong stance on what this means to be a fiduciary. Um, they, in fact, have a code of ethic, code of ethics, I should say, and standards of conduct in their code of ethics. So if you go to CFP.net and you click on their code of ethics and standards, code uh, standards of, sorry, CFP.net, click on the ethics tab and then uh, the standards of conduct. You'll see that the code of ethics is number one, CFP must at all times act with honesty, integrity, competence, and diligence. Number two, act in the client's best interest. Number three, exercise due care. Number four, avoid and disclose and manage conflicts of interest. Number five, maintain the confidentiality and protect the privacy of client information. Number six, act in a manner that reflects positively on the financial planning profession and CFP certification. And then there are duties owed to clients. The number one duty owed to clients is the fiduciary duty. And their definition states at all times when providing financial advice to a client, a CFP professional must act as a fiduciary and therefore act in the best interest of the client and the following duties must be fulfilled. And then it goes on and lists a lot of duties. There are multiple duties that are owed to clients. They include things like, uh, we've got a duty of loyalty, a duty of care, a duty to follow client instructions. Uh, we have a duty of integrity, a duty of competence, and a duty of diligence, a duty to disclose and manage conflicts of interest, a duty to sound and objective professional judgment, professionalism, we have a duty to comply with the law. We have a duty to comply with confidentiality and privacy. We have a duty to provide information to clients. We have a duty uh, for how we communicate with clients. We have duties when we're representing a compensation method. Um, and it goes on and on. We have duties when recommending and engaging with additional persons besides the client. Duties when selecting, using, and recommending technology. Uh, we have to refrain from borrowing or lending money from clients and commingling financial assets. And it goes on and on and on. So the CFP board, um, they have essentially kind of set the standard, um, pun intended, for how fiduciary care should be handled in an advisory relationship. Now, we're starting with the fiduciary duty, but there is another standard under which advisors or people who call themselves financial advisors can act, it's called the suitability standard. And so the suitability standard is basically a representation of the fact that you've done enough work to understand a client's uh, net worth profile, their risk tolerance, um, they're a US citizen, where they have money, what type of investment experience they have, how long they've been investing, all the things that we call the know your clients information. And based on that information, if everything checks out, then we can recommend certain investments. And that's the 
That's the suitability standard. It's different than the fiduciary standard because the suitability standard does not require the advisor to know and go through the actual steps to verify that the investment that's being recommended is first in the client's best interest and second to anybody else, including the advisor. Under the suitability standard, the advisor can recommend something that's in both their interest and the client's interest and not have to do all the disclosure. Not They certainly don't owe all the duties that I just listed. So advisors have a choice. And non-CFP professionals can go back and forth between those standards. Sometimes they can act as a fiduciary. Sometimes they can act under the suitability standard. A CFP, however, cannot. A CFP must act at all times under the fiduciary standard. So the reason this comes up is because I hear this weird situations all the time from other people who call themselves advisors. And it's almost always, and it pains me to say this, but it's almost always somebody who is in the insurance side of the financial services industry and the insurance sales agent, and I said that on purpose, insurance sales agent will often have a problem with CFPs. Now, this is not true across the board. I've met some insurance agents who are great people. They act under the fiduciary standard. It's their preference. And then I've met some other people who just go, yeah, well, your CFP doesn't want you to know this, and your CFP doesn't tell you this, and your CFP doesn't tell you this, all while it's saying things that they're actually not saying to the client. That's important for you to know. So I want to play an example of a video that I saw today of somebody who is very, very confused about how these standards work. And uh, he's representing an insurance product. It's an index universal life policy. If you go on TikTok, you go on uh, sometimes on Facebook, but it's mostly TikTok and Twitter. You're going to see these all the time. There tends to be more and more people putting content out Um, selling insurance products, and they're positioning themselves against CFPs in particular. So there's a bone that's been picked. um, And a lot of this is actually because some of these individuals are putting out so much content and the CFP community is saying, hey, you owe people this other disclosure. You owe people this correct education. You owe people a standard of care. Why? Because that's what we owe people. That's how we deliver our advice. That's how we do our job. And so these insurance professionals are pushing back and saying, well, as a CFP, you're not telling people this or that or the other thing. And so they're basically saying, here's why we're better than your CFP. So I'm going to play this video. Um, it's, it's about two minutes long. And, um, and it, it just, man, it just infuriates me. I, I tell you, the more I see these videos the more I just get really like, oh, because it, it is so much, so much work to do the, the, the advice the way that I do it. I intentionally do work harder to make sure that it's better for clients. Being a CFP means that I signed up for additional scrutiny on how I do my work. And so, um, and, and just for context on, you know, whether or not the advisor has a choice, the CFP board is doing everything that they can, for better or for worse, to get more and more advisors to uh, to go through the CFP training process to have the four, four to 6,000 hours of financial planning experience. 
to do the 18 to 22 month or 24 month, depending on how you do it, education, to sit the six to seven to eight hour exam, to go through the ethics background check. They're trying to get as many people as they can through this thing because they want to boost their numbers. I happen to think that's probably not a good idea because if we lower the standard, that means that we lower the standard and then our clients aren't getting exactly what it is that they're supposed to get. But they're trying to get more people through the certification and um, and try as they might, you know, it's estimated that something in the neighborhood of about 30 or so percent of advisors in the country, nationwide, actively practicing financial advice are actually certified financial planning professionals. Um, and that number probably isn't going to change a whole lot because it's just a lot of work and it's expensive. The education's expensive. The time it takes to get the, um, the experience is expensive. That comes at a cost. The exam is expensive. And then renewing the certification is expensive and doing the, the continuing education is expensive. It's, 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 it's a lot of time. It's a lot of money, but, but it's worth it. I think it's worth it. And any CFP that I've met in my career would feel the same way. Um, and if you're a CFP listening to this and you don't agree, surrender your marks. I, I, I don't know what to tell you. Anyway, let me play this video of this individual and, uh, and I, I might have some commentary along the way, but here we go. Certified financial planners. Okay, so this one is gonna take a little bit of time, so bear with me. There's this ongoing struggle, ongoing battle between CFPs and insurance brokers like myself. I'll tell you why. We both have the intent of helping people financially, both in, well, more so for the future for this. Okay. <laughs> First of all, you have the intent, I have the duty, and there's a big difference. I don't have the intent to help people financially. I have a duty to help people financially. Um, so that that's important, first of all. And then what he says next, tr just, uh, I'll let you hear it. Well, more so for the future for the CFPs. More so for the future for the CFP. So I have the intent to help people financially. More so for the future for the CFPs. But the insurance brokers, the insurance agents are looking for to help you presently and in the future and for generations to come. So CFPs, apparently, according to this guy, don't. we're not concerned about the present. We're not concerned about generations to come. We're concerned about the future, and we have the same intent. Um, and we, and we, we don't. I'm, my brain is frying. I'm going to let this play. Why we have issues. Here we go. I always hear, well, if the IUL is such a great product, why don't... IUL... In the Indexed Universal Life Insurance, uh, that's, that's what that acronym stands for in case you're not aware. CFPs recommend them. Answer, it will be in direct competition with their agency. Can certified financial planners give you guarantees? No. Do they really care or is their pocket affected whether you're making money or losing money? No, they take money from your account whether you make money or not. Okay, so first of all, not all CFPs actually manage investment accounts. Um, more and more, I'm seeing a lot of CFPs who only do financial planning and they manage plans and they help people. They can give recommendations 
on investment accounts, but the client can have money anywhere. Um, they may not manage it. So there's a lot of CFPs who are not taking money out of investment accounts for fees. Um, and if a CFP or any advisor is taking money from an investment account and they're charging an asset under management fee, if the market goes down, you bet your ass that the CFP or the advisor's pocket is affected because if the market value goes down and you're charging 1%, guess what? You're getting a pay cut. So the whole thing where this is like, you know, the, the advisor takes the money regardless of whether or not the market goes up or down, that's true if you're charging an asset under management fee, but it doesn't mean that their pocketbook isn't affected. So there there is... There is this whole other incentive structure, and I'm going to get into that later in the podcast. But but just to clear that up, that's not true. IULs are guaranteed to never lose money based on the market loss. So it's not in their best interest to recommend something that they're not managing because they don't make any money from it. Oh, but Ryan, you make money too. Yes, here's the difference. With insurance... The insurance companies have a bucket of money just for commissions that does not dip into the money that you're putting into your insurance policy. Yeah. <laughs> so buy term, invest the difference, you know, throw all your money away, make us rich. That's what the CFPs pretty much do. Okay. All the average market returns are 10%. Yes, if you're losing with the market, the average is going to be around 10%. But what if you didn't lose when the market lost? and only gained when the market gained. What would your average be then? Uh, under a life insurance policy, historically about six and a quarter percent. But yeah, if the market uh, historically is higher than that, then if, if you're not losing when the market's not losing and it's in an insurance product, six and a quarter, six and a half percent on average. Bottom line, it comes down to where you want to put your money. Who do you want to make richer from your earnings? The broker of the CFPs, the certified financial planners, where again they make money regardless whether you. Okay, so first of all, okay, so I uh, I'll tell you if you're watching this, I I haven't yet figured out how to do like a reaction video where he's in the corner. So sorry if you see me kind of looking away and this is playing and it and it just looks kind of weird. You're watching me watch this video, um, so there's that. But the other thing is this guy's driving the entire time in his video. It's a TikTok video. He's driving. He's looking at his camera almost the entire time that he's driving in the car. Oh, gosh, what a, what a total idiot. Anyway, look, here's the thing. This guy operates under the fiduciary standard. He's busy telling you how the CFPs are basically robbing you of your money because all you're doing is making the CFP rich. Um, or you can make yourself rich by buying the life insurance policy. And here's the truth. The commissions in those life insurance policies <laughs> are probably, the more that they do, they're going to actually earn more money from commissions than I'm going to earn from fees. Because that's the way it works. Like the, ah, Okay, so this guy operates under the fiduciary standard. He believes that he's operating in your best interest. But there's zero disclosure about the conflicts of interest with what he's selling or, or the index universal life policy. Here's the thing a lot of people do not know. IULs in particular, which is what most of these people like this are selling, IULs are exempted under the Dodd-Frank Act that came out of the great financial crisis. They are not federally regulated. So you have an unregulated 
complex financial product that's being sold by an unregulated insurance agent. Now, the only license this guy has is the whatever his state is. He has his state's insurance license, which is not hard to get. Um, it's not. It's easy to study for. You can do it very quickly. The exam's like two, maybe three hours long, if that. It's not a hard test to take. It's not. Um, and so he's got a very, very easy barrier to entry to sell an unregulated product and be unregulated in selling it. And it's a complex financial instrument. Meanwhile, the SEC will not let me help my clients get a private placement investment unless they are a sophisticated investor, which is a whole nother podcast. It's so frustrating. Anyway, what this person and any person who's going to compare themselves to a CFP, what they're, and let me, let me actually use the marks correctly, a CFP professional, <laughs> What they fail to recognize is that under the suitability standard, they get to sell this product and be done. They can sell this insurance policy. They can tell you with no real diagnosis or duty of care or full understanding. I mean, yeah, they have to fill out the insurance thing and you have to go through underwriting and they have to say what your net worth is and you know how much money you have and, and whatever. And you have to check the box that you understand that these are investment linked products and you know you can pick your index that it's linked to and all of that. But that's it. They sell the insurance policy, they're done. And let me tell you, a lot of these things over 10 and 20 years, these insurance products completely blow up because they're never managed. Now, these have underlying investment components and they're not managed. They're never looked at again. The only time that the insurance agent follows up is maybe once a year to just say, hey, how are things going? By the way, uh, do you need more insurance? Does your brother need insurance? Does your wife need insurance? Does your two-year-old kid need insurance? And so that's it. They're looking for the next way to make the next commission. There's no follow-up on any advice. <laughs> However, under the fiduciary duty, advisors are responsible for assessing the recommendation, preventing conflicts of interest, or disclosing them where they exist, discussing with the client why the recommendation is in the best interest, what the advisor will be paid for the recommendation, right? Go back to the conflict of interest. Who's paying the advisor, advisor, air quote, who's paying that advisor? How are they getting paid? How much is it? Um, assist the client with implementation and monitor the results. And in fact, the CFP board has this as a step-by-step -step process that's required as a CFP when you're delivering financial advice. And there's not a liberal definition of what financial advice is. It's not just if somebody's doing a financial planning engagement. It is any time that you're delivering any kind of financial advice and offering an opinion on any type of investment. And so what the CFP is required to do is first understand the client's personal and financial circumstances. Do a deep dive, find out where everything's located, find out all the know your client information, everything that I said earlier in the podcast, where they live, what their address is, how long they live there, own the home, rent the home. 
U.S. citizen, how long they have uh, have investment experience, what type of investment experience, what they've invested in, how much they currently have in 401ks and cash accounts and all these things, what their risk tolerance is, how you verify what their risk tolerance is, right? All of this stuff has to be has to be checked off and known by the CFP. Because if we don't know pieces of information and offer advice, we could be damaging you financially in other areas that we don't have awareness on. So it's very important that the more we know, the better our advice is going to be. And it's also why a CFP sometimes will say, I, I can't, if you come with a question and, and we're not, I don't have this information, the CFP will probably say, I'd love to answer that question. I just, I don't have enough information. It would be malpractice for me to offer any kind of diagnosis and more importantly, any kind of dis, uh, prescription for what exactly it is that ails you. And so it's very important. We have to know all this stuff. And then once we know the stuff, we have to identify and select the goals before we offer advice. We have to know exactly what we're trying to accomplish under what time frame, why it's important, and how it's going to be done. So we have to identify and prioritize the goals. Then we have to analyze the client's current course of action and any potential alternative course of action. So what are they currently doing? What is another way that possibly they could get to where they want to go in better shape or faster or more efficiently, considering all of the seven areas of financial planning, which as a quick overview, I've detailed this in several different blog posts on the lifemoveswealth.com website. I've talked about it in other podcasts, but real quick, the seven areas of financial planning is net worth, cash flow, risk management, investment management, tax planning, retirement planning, estate planning. So in the context of those seven areas, we have to understand your current course of action and any alternatives accordingly. Then we have to develop the financial planning recommendation that has all seven of those things considered. Then we have to present the recommendation to the client. We have to help the client implement the recommendation, provided that the client agrees with the recommendation and the CFP can help steer the information so that the client can understand why the recommendation makes sense. And then here's the difference. We have to monitor the progress and update the client on any changes. So the CFPs work when we make a, a recommendation on an investment, on a cash flow strategy, on a tax planning strategy with the help of a CPA, on a estate planning uh, strategy with the help of a uh, licensed and uh, bar certified estate planning attorney. We have to monitor the results. Like we're, we're not done. We don't get to just be done. We don't get to sell you something and be done. This guy does. But the CFP is the bad guy. Sure. So, and, and he said, can the CFP make your guarantees? No. Well, I'll tell you what. I can't make guarantees, but I'm going to make an exception in his case. I guarantee this guy and people like him are not providing the level of care that a CFP does for their clients. Why? He doesn't have to. He's unregulated. He's selling an unregulated product. He's selling, and that's the operative word, he's selling. Um, he doesn't have to. He doesn't have any recourse. He's telling people, for an example, that with uh, if you go in and watch other videos and, and you go through the whole thing with these 
with these people specifically with the IUL, they're telling you, yeah, you can take tax-free loans. Why would you put money into a 401k? They often will position the IUL against the 401k because the 401k is the biggest scam in America if you watch any of the videos. So why would you put money away there? You're going to be taxed on retirement. Just just put it in the tax-free bucket only and into this IUL and then max fund it and then keep funding it um, because, you know, you can you can withdraw money tax free at any time, and then you can use that money to buy other investments or real estate or other things. We call that leverage. Leverage happens to be a very risky strategy that's not appropriate for all people, and so they're basically saying and coaching you to like, yeah, it's no big deal. Just when the cash value grows, pull the money out, go buy something else, leverage the policy, get more growth, put more money in your pocket, and all that fun stuff. Um, <laughs> He's, you know, I, I said in the middle of this video that the policy credits, if you pull for those kinds of insurance things, it's around seven and a quarter or sorry, six and a quarter, even worse, six and a quarter percent. Um, but they'll say it's safe because there's no market risk. Well, even though the long term average of the of the S&P 500 and a 60 40 diversified portfolio is higher than six point two five percent. They're basically telling you it's safer because you're not at the market risk. And here's the thing with the cash value. The more that you borrow, it's on a policy loan. And even though it's going to have some credits and you can quote unquote arbitrage the credits versus the, you know, how much you're, you're earning and the policy and all that stuff. The more that you borrow from the policy and the longer that you keep the loan out on the policy, the greater your risk of lapsing the policy and they'll tell you, yeah, borrow all the money you want from the policy, take it as income, but don't let the policy lapse. Well, don't mean the po- don't let the policy lapse means you may not be paying taxes on that income from your insurance product in your 60s, but there's a darn good chance that you're paying significantly higher premiums just to keep the policy alive because you've paid into it for all these years, you've used the money for other things on your quote-unquote leverage, and now your policy might actually just completely fail. And then you've got nothing, no death benefit, You've got no inheritance for your heirs, and you've got no more cash value to borrow from. You have to take money out of your pocket, which is now probably a lower amount of money because you're in retirement. You're taking money from your pocket. You're putting it into this insurance premium, and meanwhile, you're choosing what to spend money on, and you have to keep the insurance active. So they don't talk about this. The loans actually increase your risk, and it's just – okay, I digress. This podcast is not about specific products, but it is about how they're sold. And as I said a few minutes ago, that's the operative word, sold. The suitability standard is where financial products are sold that may or may not be in your best interest long term. Under the fiduciary standard, however, the recommendations that are made must be made in your best interest ahead of the advisor's interest. And the advisor has to disclose what their interest is. So... The results in the recommendations, all of that stuff has to work long-term because guess what? The fiduciary advisor, the CFP professional, is on the hook for the results. Um, I heard a guy, uh, I was at a networking meeting about two weeks ago, and I was talking to the other uh, advisor in the networking group, and, and I like to always talk to other financial advisors because I like to network with them. Um, I can't I can't help everybody. They can't help everybody. So sometimes we might refer 
um, people to each other. Sometimes we might just use, use each other as a sounding board for different things. I like to know who the other advisors in the community are. Um, and so I was talking to this guy and he primarily, now he calls himself a financial advisor, but he primarily deals in life insurance because of the firm that he works for, which shall remain nameless. Uh, but if I said the name of the firm, anybody who's listening and knows the industry would know exactly what I'm talking about. But anyway, he primarily deals in insurance um, and in a very specific kind of mutual fund. And um, and he said, he's like, oh, yeah, you know, uh, yeah, I, I've heard that the, uh, the CFP is kind of like a waste of time and money because you can just get the education for free or you can just like, you know, buy the books and, you know, read them and, uh, you know. Yeah, he's like, I just, I just have heard from other advisors in my firm that it's a waste of time. My opinion on that, and I wrote, I actually uh, wrote a Twitter post about this over the weekend, and it went, in my terms, it went viral. It had a lot of a lot of engagement, a lot of likes, a lot of retweets. It was, it was actually kind of a, a really interesting conversation. But my opinion is, look, if you're going to sell products, CFP is a waste of your time. If you're going to provide actual advice, get the CFP. Like there, there's just no, I, I don't, I don't know how there's any other choice. Um, and to call it a waste of t a waste of time when you could just get the education for free. Well, yeah, I mean, I can read WebMD and call myself a doctor, but you probably ought to not let me operate on you. Right. Um, it's, ah, the CFP is a waste of time. And what I, what I told him, I was like, well, I, I guess, like I can see why an advisor would say that, but what really matters is I'm required to do, to act on my client's best interest at all times, and that's the difference. And then he was like, "Well, yeah, oh, uh, you know." And then he told me a story about this one time that he was uh, proposing a policy, and then in the end, he decided not to not to let the client buy it, even though they really wanted to. But he wouldn't let them buy it because it just was expensive, and and it probably didn't provide the right amount of coverage. That's not what we're talking about here, folks. That that he grew a conscious, for one. You know, he missed out on a on a uh, on a commission, but at least he did the right thing in that regard. So, the CFP is not a waste of time. The fiduciary standard is not arbitrary, and here's why: especially if you're a CFP professional, the CFP board, which is our self-governing. Um, organization agency it's not a, it's not a governmental agency it's a basically a, a self-regulating body um, if they receive a complaint about any advisor who has the CFP marks and they do an investigation and they find that the CFP is uh, is ha has exhibited some form of negligence in that clients interaction the CFP board can issue its own censures on the advisor. They can impose their own fines on the advisor. They can help the client sue the advisor in civil court. The advisor can also be subject to, um, to fines and penalties in criminal court. And the CFP board can, can uh, issue a revocation of the credentials which is permanent. So if you're a CFP professional and the CFP board revokes your credentials, you can never, ever, ever get them back. There's no way to get them back. No way. And we have to self-report if we receive complaints from clients. We have to self-report 
if we get in trouble, if we get like, you know, so many parking tickets or God forbid, the CFP board allows us to get two DUIs before we self-report. Like, what are we doing? Right. Talk about lowering standards. Jesus. So anyway, it's <laughs> there. There's more at risk when you're a fiduciary advisor, especially if you're a CFP. And that's why it's important for clients to work with somebody who only operates under the fiduciary standard because you as the client actually have more protection that way. Um, and other professionals recognize this. I was talking with an attorney earlier this week and uh, she told me that she will only work with CFPs because, and she said this quote, she knows that the clients can sue the pants off the CFP successfully. So she's only going to, she's only going to work with somebody who is required to operate under the fiduciary standard because that client relationship matters so much to her that she's not willing to put it at risk to somebody who isn't bound by those standards. So there's this whole other layer, by the way, um, when you become a fee only advisor under the fiduciary standard. Um, and if you designate yourself as a fee-only advisor, you don't have a choice. You are required to operate under the fiduciary standard. And in fact, it's kind of hard to be a fee-only advisor and not be a CFP. So it's kind of a big deal. And here's what fee-only means. Fee-only means that the only way the advisor can be compensated is by the client, by a fee. So no commissions, no trailing commissions, not only on the advisory things, but even like if I have a, uh, let's say I have a real estate license and I sell property and I earn a commission there, I can't earn a commission on real estate. There's no commissions that are allowed. It's called an outside business activity and it's regulated and I can't do it because I'm a fee-only advisor. So when I launched Life Moves Wealth Management almost a year ago, hard to believe today is the, uh, I'm recording this on Thursday, March 9th. Um, I'm, I'm inside of 30 days away from celebrating Life Moves Wealth, uh, our, our first birthday, which is amazing. It's been a great year. But when I launched Life Moves, I made a decision to go fee only because it was important to me to continue to remove any conflicts of interest in the advisory process that I offer. Um, and that, that actually even meant that I surrendered my life insurance licenses, which I held in seven or eight states. Um, and I surrendered those because even with life insurance, if I make a life insurance recommendation, I can't collect the commission on it. So in fact, I can only help a client place a life insurance policy through a fee-only life insurance company, which ensures that nobody in the chain receives a commission on that life insurance policy, which might actually be in the best interest of the client because it typically means that the premiums are lower, which is great. But if a client wants to get life insurance through their home and auto insurance company or any other company, they can most certainly do it. And I can, I can look over it and say, here's what you need to know. Here's what you need to know about this policy. Um, but even if I help them through it, I can't, I can't take a referral fee. I can't take commission on it. And I did that on purpose. I did it on purpose. And in fact, I've gone a step further. I'm moving more and more of my clients over time onto a flat only basis, which means that we do some work. I've got a calculator. We assess their financial profile and then we set a flat fee and that's it. Whether I manage the money or not, 
that's it. The fee doesn't change. The market goes up, the market goes down, the fee doesn't change because what I have noticed with my clients, and I survey them and I ask them, on an annual basis when we're having our meetings and we're, we're delivering financial advice and we're talking about the things that are moving in your life, <laughs> no accident, that's why I call the firm Life Moves Wealth because life moves your money, money moves your life, all these other things happen, right? So life and money, right, they come together, life moves, all that fun stuff. And I think actually... Um, yeah, whatever. Anyway, uh, I was going to say, I, I think maybe part of that might have been trademarked somewhere by somebody else. I don't know. Anyway, the whole point is that things are always in motion. And so we talk about it throughout the year. And as those conversations occur, how much of the conversation as a percentage are we talking about investments and how much are we talking about everything else? And every single client goes, well, we're probably talking about investments, maybe, I don't know, inside of 20% of the time, maybe, right? So using the Pareto principle, right, the 80-20 rule, as it's commonly known, what that means is that if I'm charging an asset under management fee and a financial planning fee, in a lot of cases, I'm earning more money under the assets under management. But that's only represented by about 20% or less of the work. So why are, why are we doing that? Why are we putting the value of the advisor on the investment account? And this becomes especially more apparent with clients that I have who are younger in their late 20s and early 30s who are investing and saving into their company-sponsored 401k, which makes sense. And so those people don't even have access to financial advice because any other advisor, especially under the suitability standard, is going to look at that and go, how can I get a commission off these people? I can't manage their money. Maybe I can sell them life insurance and, uh, and send them on their way. There's a massive advice gap for people who are, you know, between zero dollars of investable assets and a million dollars of investable assets. And I think it's important that somebody steps into that wedge and provides financial advice to people who are trying to get to a million dollars of investable assets because it's not easy to do on your own. So if you're in your 20s and 30s, you need to talk to a fiduciary advisor who you can pay for financial planning because the investing part of that can't be built. And so the, the other reason I did this is I've had clients over the past couple of years who have needed to use their invested money for important things like buying a house or paying for college or, or doing all these other things. And if, I'm, if I have an asset under management fee and I'm operating under the suitability standard, it's a conflict of interest when a client goes, hey, I need to take $200,000 out of my account because I have to do this thing over here that's very important to me. Well, as an advisor, if I'm charging 1% on that, I basically have just to, to honor that client's wishes, I'm accepting a pay decrease. I, I, I'm getting a pay cut because the client wants to use their money. It's, it's their money. And so as the advisor, I'm going, well, shoot, is there another way to do this so that way they don't take the money out of the account so that way I don't take the, the hit on my pay? No. You help the client do what's in their best interest, which sometimes is take the money out of the account. That's what it's there for. It's your money. We've saved it. We've invested it. We knew that this day was going to come. Let's use the money. Let's not be afraid to use the money because I won't get paid. Like, I just I can't understand how that makes sense. So I'm moving more and more of my clients to a flat fee only basis that is actually predicated and set based on the amount 
and the type and the complexity of financial advice that they need, which includes the investment activity, but it's not built separately for the investment activity. It's, it's included in that total fee. And so that has been well received by my clients so far because it makes sense to them to actually pay for the service that they're being provided at a greater amount. So if 80% of the work we're doing is all the other six areas of their financial life, let's put the value on that rather than just on the investment activity. It just makes total sense. So the, you know, the other reason, just to kind of tie that up, the other reason I did it is I, I don't want any of my clients to second guess an investment recommendation. I don't want them to question if I'm making the recommendation um, because I want to get a new pair of shoes with a commission or if I need a new golf bag or maybe I need to uh, buy a couple more dress shirts or, or something. You know, I want to take Melissa on a vacation, so I'm going to sell five extra life insurance policies, which, by the way, that's how that stuff is done. That's how that's done. Advisors are incentivized to do those things. I wanted to remove those conflicts of interest. So that's part of why, that's definitely 100% why I went fee only. And it's 100% why I'm moving to a flat fee basis. Um, so that's it. The way the recommendation is made makes the difference between the fiduciary advisor and the suitability standard. So let me, let me land the plane here. Um, and you might be asking yourself, okay, if I'm talking to a financial advisor, or if I'm interviewing a financial advisor, how do I know if they're acting under the suitability standard or the fiduciary standard. And the best way to know that is to ask and to ask that question. Dear Mr. or Mrs. Advisor, do you act under the suitability standard or do you act under the fiduciary standard? If they look like deer in the headlights, they're acting under the suitability. They don't know how to answer the question. You're not talking to a fiduciary advisor and you're most certainly not talking to a certified financial planner. Um, if it's a certified financial planner, they better answer that question very quickly. And they better know how to answer and they better be able to explain it. And if they don't, then you're working with somebody who has the credentials only and they're a CFP and name only and run. That person's not, not who you want to work with, in my opinion. Next question is you might ask, why does it really matter? Well, frankly, because you don't know what you don't know. And we know that only a fiduciary advisor is required to disclose what you don't know. Someone acting under suitability standard is not required to disclose it. They don't have to. They can choose. They can give you as much information as you want or as they feel you need to have. Um, but most, most of the time, the difference is someone under the suitability standard is likely in a sales role and they're likely held to a sales goal into metrics, into targets, and they're required to sell a certain number of things, and that's all tracked by their firm and, and et cetera, and they're bonused based on it, or they earn trips on it, or whatever. Um, somebody who's under the fiduciary standard, those things don't exist. I, I, I don't have any sales goals. I don't, I don't care. Like it, do, it doesn't, it literally doesn't matter to me. Um, but that's the way I've built my firm, because it's important to me that my clients understand that when I make a recommendation, it's because it's for their good and not for my incentive. Um, the next question is, who should work with an advisor under the fiduciary standard? Everybody. 
literally everybody should work. We should force advisors to come under the fiduciary standard and mean it. I, I don't, we're, we're just, we're past the point where it's helpful to have stockbrokers and stockbrokers only. We're honestly past the point where we only have insurance agents who are selling policies and incentivized for, for policies. They better be providing a higher level of care and better financial advice, truly advice behind the product they're selling. I don't expect a life insurance agent to provide financial advice. I don't, they're not qualified to. Um, their, their license doesn't require them to do it. Their license doesn't train them how to do it. I'd prefer that they didn't, in fact. Um, but if they want to take the extra step and become a certified financial planner, great, great. Then act under the fiduciary standard and do it well. Um, and the reason why everybody should be doing this is because, again, of what's required. And I'm going to read uh, just real quick from the uh, Real Financial Planning Manifesto written by uh, my mentor, Carl Richards. And, um, and he basically says, Real financial planning, uh, and I'm just going to extend this to real financial advice, is about being less wrong tomorrow, not precisely right today. That's his his thing, right? So the more that we do planning, the less wrong we are over time. Um, but he says that uh, financial planning takes place in a complex, adaptive system. The only way to navigate a system like that is to be continually looking for and solving problems. In other words, get clear about your current reality, take a step in the direction of the goal, Incorporate the new information that shows up and then repeat. Repeat. The rate at which we cycle through that process is driven largely by the volatility of the situation or the complexity of your financial life. When a client has a lot going on, it could be almost daily. And I do have some clients when big things are happening where we're talking at least once or twice a week. Things like that happen. Um, in calmer times, maybe it's quarterly or every six months or annually or just kind of on a check-in basis. Either way, it's always taking place. It's like breathing. You don't just inhale and exhale once and call it a day. You're always doing this. It's how you survive. And I completely agree. That's the difference between me and the gentleman who you listened to earlier in the podcast. I do this all the time. It's in a process. It's continual. He's going to sell a policy and be done. And that's the difference between the fiduciary standard and the suitability standard. It just, it repeats forever. And you want to have somebody who you know is going to be there and in a position to repeat forever because they're not going to run out of brothers and sisters and cousins and uncles and nieces and nephews to sell these things to. So that's it. I'm going to end the, the podcast there. If you have questions about the fiduciary standard versus the suitability standard, drop a comment. Of course, you can always reach out to me directly. The contact information is in um, the, 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 uh, the YouTube channel and also on the podcast channel. You can also go to lifemoveswealth.com um, and you can reach out to me directly through there. But I'd love to know what you think about it. I'd love to know what your experience is with an advisor. If you've come under the understanding of the fiduciary standard versus the suitability standard, if you've had a bad experience with an advisor, or even better, if you've had a good experience with a financial advisor, I'd love to hear that. So leave a comment and, uh, and let me know what you think about this information. So I hope that this has been helpful. And I hope that when you're interviewing a financial advisor, ask the question, which standard are you operating under and when? 
And again, if they pause, you don't have a fiduciary advisor. You just don't. And it's very important. So um, thank you for listening to this episode. Again, drop a comment. Send me your questions. I'd love to talk with you. And until next time, take care.